with this joke it's something like that i don't know i haven't listened to the fujis in decades remzo uh but i think this does tie in to today's episode in which we're going to be looking at a story from my favorite writer i think i said that before my favorite writer who's not eric larson who goes into a totally separate car- category of love hate good old alan moore that is batman's killing joke look at that it's way more. It's way more love than hate. I don't think Alan Moore has us blocked. No, I mean I love Alan Moore. I'm saying Eric Larson is my is in my love hate category. I love oh. him as a creator, and maybe I don't even hate him. I don't hate anybody as a person, Remzo. That's not that's not the kind of person I am. But he might hate me. That's not the energy you <laughs> exactly. want to put out into the world. Oh, he hates you. If you went up to him, you're like, Mr. Larson, I've been buying your books since I was a teenager. I firmly disagree if your political stances, but I'll continue to buy your books. He'd probably call you a fascist and says he hates you. He would call Antifa on me, I guess. But nonetheless, Remzo, what's going on, man? How are things? How's life? Thank you for taking the reins for a couple weeks while uh, it seems like if if life's not throwing a hurricane at me or an alligator at me, it's throwing a a, a Chinese flu at me. So it's it's been a hell of a couple weeks. Mark, I am just a man of the people, and the people need to be delivered their awesome, awesome second print sustenance. So, no, things have been great. Andrew Tate did nothing wrong. I'm just chilling here, uh, you know, just uh, looking forward to another episode. Right, well, I'm going to go ahead and continue to be too old to know who, to know or care who that is. Uh, but, I, you know... <laughs> I'm just throwing in random, like, subliminal messages throughout everything but, uh, I do now. I'm certainly not too old. I am just old enough to know and care greatly about the tale we're going to be discussing today this again is it was originally a one shot an out of continuity uh one shot i guess an elseworlds before they had a word for elseworlds uh which has then been sort of retconned into continuity out of continuity back into continuity i think it's generally accepted to be in continuity ish today uh that is the killing joke remzo before we dive into this one this one shot from 1986 alan moore brian boland what's the first time you read this First time I read this was at Barnes and Noble um, in 2006. I used to love when my mom would go to like a Barnes and Noble, or we had what was the name of the other store? Borders. Borders, yes. And she would go look at Rest some bullshit, peace, you know, look at a hundred recipe books or whatever. And I would just sit there and grab graphic novels, and I would just, I would just bang out entire graphic novels, and it was, it was great. That was my nirvana. That was my meditation. That I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I pretty much taught myself how to read a few higher grade levels by reading graphic novels in the graphic novel section at Barnes and Noble. And the mission continues here on SBC each and every week. We can continue to, uh, our goal is eventually, I think when we get to 10th grade reading, reading level, a mission will be accomplished as far as I'm concerned. I'm hooked on phonics. So things have gotten a little bit better. It's why I didn't review books the last couple of weeks. I just look at the pictures, but it was a, uh, yeah, no 2006. Uh, I didn't look at it again until, I think it was 2017, 2018. They did um, Fathom events for, you know, people that still go movie theaters. Fathom events would do like special screenings of like musicals and old movies and like uh, mystery science theater type stuff. And they went ahead and did um, 
uh, premiere night for the animated version of the Killing Joke, which I gotta say, if you you know, usually I I defend a lot of the adaptations that are done, especially in animation, where you can be a lot more uh, accurate to the source material. But the Killing Joke animated movie was outright trash, and it's really really sad because I think Bruce. Oh no, that's sad to hear. Yeah, Bruce Tim was a producer. Kevin Conroy returned as Batman, and Mark Hamill returned as the Joke. Joker. It had everything going for it. You can go ahead and watch it now on like HBO Max if you have it. But uh, you know, I, I went ahead and watched that with my brother. And as we're walking out, like the midnight showing of this movie, we're just looking at each other like that was horrible. It's like they never even read the comic. So the next day, I went ahead and ordered it, got it, uh, read it like three, four days in a row. Just really enjoyed diving back into it. And it's uh, it's been a few years, but it plays. Uh, you know, it's 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 one of those pieces where if you have to go ahead and put your Batman canon together, you can't ignore it. I mean, I think the closest thing that kind of reminded me of that feeling I got when reading The Killing Joke the first time was reading Three Jokers by Jeff Johns in 2020. Um, It had a lot of that uh, killing joke element in it. And, uh, you know, people can't escape it. It's either one of those things that they're constantly trying to bring back or one of those things that they're constantly trying to push out, but you can't deny its existence. It's, uh, it's important. It's been treated as canon across all the different retcons and everything else. And, uh, if it's not your Batman story because of the stuff in it, well, then I just don't think you appreciate Batman because he's gone through some pretty horrifying shit. His family's gone through some pretty horrifying shit. Uh, this is just one of those chapters. Sure, and Batman is if, if Batman is defined on anything by anything, it's the tragic and horrific events that he and more maybe more so his loved ones suffer and that suffer at what he in many ways sees as his hands or as something he could have stopped. And that is why I think the the events of this book are so crucial to of course many other characters that we'll be discussing, but to Batman's character itself um through his progression through time here uh into straight through to, to Batfleck today I, I see this i see this to me Batfleck, the our Batfleck that we see in in bvs is is this Batman? yes <laughs> I, I don't know how we get there but that batman went through this shit yeah he he had to i mean uh saying saying the killing joke is not canon is almost like saying death in the family isn't canon it's almost like saying, you know, Nightwing never went. I'm sorry, Ra, uh, Dick Grayson never went off to be Nightwing. I mean, I don't know why it was treated this way. I think it was more of a editor thing because they were really worried about the backlash of, you know, the what they call the fridging women remarks in terms of how they handle the character of Barbara Gordon in here. My, my thing is like you can't you can't always protect women, and if anything is seen in this, it's that you know Barbara isn't a fridged woman. That comes from a plot in Green Lantern where um, Kyle Rayner's girlfriend is killed by uh, major major force and what he does is he shoves her body in a fridge she was introduced just to be killed and you know that that is a trope you often see but what we see of Barbara here is she's the first character who is introduced as a primary sidekick and decades later is then reinvented as the first character of disabilities and they don't hide from it either she doesn't just suddenly you know get robot legs or get magically cured this story stays around for two and a half decades 
decades. And you see her have to reinvent herself as a hero when she eventually becomes Oracle. I think when people try and just say, well, you know, you shouldn't treat women characters like that, that not only diminishes what you can do with these characters, but it also is, you know, just, just incredibly offensive to the fact that you're trying to make an imaginary world where nothing happens to women. That's, that, that's not the world. Women want to see characters that they can see themselves in. And Barbara Gordon is one of the best characters because just like Dick Grayson, she's known as much for her own heroics than she is just being Batman's sidekick. I think this is not one of those things that you know, always absolutely defines her. But what it did was it propelled her on her own hero's journey. And to ignore the killing joke and what happened to her is a disservice to the character. It's disservice to the fans. And it's just not, you know, it's, it, 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 it's having a infantile understanding of what these comics really do. Thank you for coming to my Ted talk. <laughs> that was Remzo's review of the killing joke. Thank you very much. I will be back next week. With even more, no, but uh, before we dive in to discuss this story at hand here, I want to remind you all to do something that I just did, or not to do what I just did, and not to forget, oh, I'm in the loop now. Look, just remember to go follow us on social media, at Second Print Pod. If you support the show, one of the best things that you can do is follow us on Twitter, on Instagram. We are at Second Print Pod everywhere and anywhere you look. Head over to our website, secondprintcomics.com, and if you want to toss us a couple shekels and get some bonus content while you're at it. Yes, including coming very soon, She-Hulk reviews coming a little bit after that and or reviews, uh, basically reviews of, of anything that comes on TV that is remotely comic related. You'll be getting behind the paywall as well as uh, what Mark Miss will be returning very soon. We'll be looking at the Ultimates, finally diving deep into the Ultimates. And there's just so much goodness behind the paywall over on Patreon, patreon.com slash second print pod. If you enjoy what we do and want to see and hear us do even more of it. That being said, Remzo, ready to dive into this thing? Let's do it. Into Gotham. All right. Well, we're going to start off uh, in what has now become a classic style. Um, I'm not sure who started it. It probably started before any of these artists, but... It's this nine panel layout that, you know, when we think of it, we think of like Dave Gibbons and Watchmen. We think of uh, Frank Miller. Um, we think of we think of this book. We think of Brian Boland here in um, in The Killing Joke. So I'm just curious before we even dive into the content here. What do you think of that nine panel layout that does seem to get brought back by certain writers? Uh, I think now it's more seen as an homage than anything else. Uh, it was recently used by Jeff Johns in. What's the one with the the watchman coming back? Uh, here, oh shoot! I feel I like have the couve brain. We should, we should know this. Um, Doomsday clock. Doomsday clock. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I I think um, I think it's done for the matter of pacing because what you often see, and I've seen this with a lot of limited series, and, and even um, even story arcs in comics where they try and do, you know, I, I call it. I call it the uh, shitty version of the death of Superman in the death of Superman uh, arc from the first chapter until the last chapter. And you hear Mark and I discuss this over in our death of Superman episode, you get less and less panels. So it starts with a lot of panels in the first part. And then by the time you get to the last uh, issue of that arc, it's just full page splashes. Um, I think with a lot of stories, they, they, 
they want to go ahead and build up the anticipation towards the end. So what they do is they use a lot of that panel art to do the, you know, the, the mood shifting for them. And sometimes that works out really well, but oftentimes it's lazy. So I think, um, you know, this is a prime example of them building that anticipation. You don't get, uh, you know, the, the extreme amount of less and less panels of each issue, but it really does, um, set the tone for the fact that, listen, this is a consistent story. Every panel matters. And that it's just going to escalate from here. So I've always been a fan of that. I think panel art and panel format often gets ignored, but when it's done, it, it really stands out. And this is just an example of them doing it very well. Yeah, like anything else, it's all about the effect and, and how it's done. If it's done well, if it's done in a logical way, uh, then it can work great. If it's done just to do it, just to say we did it, that's when sometimes it's like, all right, did they really need to put that panel there? Is this, this more to say? A uh, big did? example of them really sucking at it, which people can go back and listen to, is the uh, Battle Scars episode where the panel art is just non existent. It's just a mess. I mean, a lot of things, a lot of things were non existent. Everything. In that Careers. Story everything <laughs> but nonetheless we dive into uh, the killing joke the nine panel the first nine panel layout here where we slowly see batman through the rain through the leaves through the lights of the cars coming up through arkham asylum going through arkham here as we continue on to this, this through this nine panel layout uh he is with commissioner gordon we're walking by uh various different well we see two faces the only one i think that we can clearly make out we're See another guy, name unknown, 0801. I don't know who that is, but he's basically walking through, you know, a bunch of his rogues to get to the grandest rogue in the gallery of them all, the Joker, who is, of course, playing cards as, as Batman comes up and, and rolls up on him here. And and I, I really enjoy this scene. This scene feels always, every time I read this, it just, I, I feel like I should be watching it in a movie. It feels like a movie, the, the way that the scene is laid out, but I just... I love this dialogue uh, between Batman and the Joker here, mostly with Batman. It's pretty much all Batman. Um, I'm actually just going to read read his dialogue here because it's, it's really just crucial to understand the, the sort of an entire crux of the story here. Uh, and, and Batman says, "Should I do it in my in my Affleck?" Yes. <laughs> I don't. I do just, you just even need to COVID. ask? If you want to really, really mess with the listeners, how about you do it in your best Adam West impression? Oh, that's going to be way harder, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I didn't have an Adam West impression prepared. I've been thinking lately about you and me. Now, I'm just going to talk like a regular person about what's going to happen to us in the end. We're going to kill each other, aren't we? Don't they kind of do a take on this? I think they do. I think this that the scene in um, the nightmare scene in the end of the Snyder cut, that conversation was sort of a take on this one. Yeah. Am I wrong here? Uh, you, you see a lot of that in there because there's not many times where you have Batman and the Joker just talking to each other face to face. Usually somebody's tied up. Usually there's an explosion. But the times where you just get them just calmly speaking to each other are sometimes some of the most nerve wracking. Yeah. And. and Batman says, perhaps you'll kill me. Perhaps I'll kill you. Perhaps sooner, perhaps later. I just wanted to know that I'd made a genuine attempt to talk things over and avert that outcome just once. Are you listening to me? It's life and death that I'm discussing here. Maybe my death, maybe yours. I don't fully understand why ours should be such a fatal relationship, but I don't want your murder on my hands. And he looks at his hands and he sees this white stuff on his hands and it came off of the Joker and he realizes 
This is just makeup. And he realizes, oh, this isn't even the real fucking Joker. Here I come, pouring my heart out, trying to bury the hatchet, trying to see if we can find out just why we're fighting so much. Why do we hate each other? Can we put this thing to rest? And it's not even the real fucking Joker. And uh, yeah, Batman grabs this guy, says, where is he? He's like, hey, hey, don't touch me. I got rights. You're not allowed to. And, and you know, Batman doesn't really care about his rights in this, in this moment so much. Um, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, this is not uh, obviously not the real Joker because the Joker has escaped from Arkham Asylum, as he often does with the help of some halfwit or another that he paints up like himself. Um, so what has the Joker been up to? He has been shopping. We find out he has been shopping for an amusement park. It appears he just he just just purchased an old amusement park fairgrounds. And, uh, you know, he's talking to this uh, dude who's who's selling him, selling him the uh, the carnival. And as he is closing this deal, we now get flashbacks. So this is partially a Batman story, but it's really a Joker origin story. That's really, I mean, there are storyline reasons that the story becomes significant, obviously, to the character of Oracle Barbara Gordon. Uh, But this is, it's obviously not the first attempt. We've seen many, many uh, versions of the Joker's origin story. But I think this is one of the first that was really fleshed out and uh, certainly that attempted to humanize the joker in some way yeah it definitely played a role in in both of them but this is really where um the the joker actually appeared to have some type of humanity and i'm not saying that and like you know the story will get a little bit sympathetic but it's one of those moments where it kind of dives into a point which he's going to get to later uh which is all this idea of you know what separates batman from the joker just one bad day yeah and here we flash back uh, to the Joker coming home and uh, his wife, his, his pregnant wife um, is kind of is well, she's not really giving him shit. She's kind of just being a normal wife. He's just saying, like, how did it go? Do they like your act? He's a struggling comedian. And he says, well, yeah, you know, they, they might call me. I don't know. I got nervous and, and messed up a punchline. And she just says, oh, and he kind of snaps at her. He's like, what do you mean? Oh, and she's like, oh, I didn't mean anything. And you can so you can see that the anger is, is already there, obviously, as he's not just the, he's not exactly the, the happiest, jolliest, uh, most jovial of comedians. But, you know, he breaks down and cries and he is just really um, is feeling, uh, you know, he feeling like the world is kind of collapsing in on him. He's trying to make this kind of make this a comedy career work. Meanwhile, you know, his wife is, is pregnant and, and they're all struggling and it's just not really a good time. And, um, you know, he, he thinks his wife hates her and all this and that. And, and there is a scene too, um, when he's saying he just wants to get enough money to uh, to you know to get it set up in a decent neighborhood. He's like, and he's saying there's there's girls on the street who earn that in a weekend without having to tell a single joke. And as uh, she says, "Honey, don't worry, not about any of it. I still love you, you know, job or no job. You're good in the sack." <laughs> and but 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 they 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 show this up close of the Joker here, just looking at the window as the rain uh, is coming down, and he just. That's where I think you can really see uh, the shadow in there. You can see you can see the Joker inside this person, whatever whatever his name may be. Whichever of the three Jokers, I, I was I actually made a note. I was like, is this one of the fa- is this the family of one of the three Jokers, or am I not supposed to be thinking that deeply at this point? Probably you're not. you're correct. Do you want me to spoil that for you? Uh, yeah. Do we know that? Because they they lay it, they lay it pretty yeah at the end of uh, part three, so the last issue of Batman Three Jokers. The comedian is the first Joker and the and the comedian that that is his family you see at the end. I don't want to spoil too much for this story until we get to the end. Then maybe I could tie more together. But what you thought is true is true. That's not this family, is it? 
Is it this is. family? Okay. Well, I, it, I missed that yeah. part anyway. Because notice, notice, notice she's pregnant and notice that the family you see at the end of three Joker has a kid who's about 16 years old. Okay. So in the Jeff Johns verse, Joker kept this, this Joker, the comedian Joker kept this family in the background the whole time. Batman did. Bat Batman and the cops did. Are you confusing to, are you confusing this with Batman and Catwoman no. or something? No. In three Jokers, that didn't. In, in Three Jokers, she's afraid of him because she knows that he has been working with criminals. So they fake her death and they put collections together to help her get a new name. And while the Joker had suspicions, Batman admits that he would go ahead and falsify documents and stuff like that. So that way he would never get a, an idea that his wife is still alive. Okay, well, that's a different Joker then, because one of the Jokers in Three Jokers has a family that he goes to actively. That's oh, that, that one's imaginary though. That's an imaginary oh, family. That's the ima- okay. I, I read this two years ago. That's right. He's the one. He's the one that dies. So you have the three jokers. So we'll just spoil it. Yeah, so, so spoilers for three so, jokers, which uh, technically so, isn't necessarily canon either. So whatever. Yeah. Mark Mark wrote three reviews over <laughs> yeah, a second. I break reviewed pod, this book in no comics. Yeah. So you have three jokers. You have the criminal who's like the super, you know, crazy one from the, I think it's the John Azrael limited series Joker. Um, he's the one who's more akin to Heath Ledger. You have what I'll call like the sixties Joker who is, um, you know, who, who is more of, he's like a silver age kind of more. He, yeah. He's like the silver age. He uses midget Joker. <laughs> you know, he does silly stuff. Yeah. And, and then you have the comedian, which is the one who beat, um, who, who beat Jason and also shot Barbara. Oh, right. Cause they do, t- they is, do tie it in via those acts. That's right. Via the killing joke. Yeah. That's how you know, which is which one of them is like killing joke joker, basically, which would be this one. Yeah. Who ha- who has the most connection to all of them. And it's ultimately while these other jokers were pawns in the jokers master plan, which doesn't really seem like much it's uh you know at the end of the day the joker doesn't do things simply because he has some giant master plan he does things to just stay involved in batman's life because he's a psychopath and that's something that's kind of you know i mean all of that i'm starting to see more similarities now between this story and what we're seeing with uh three jokers all those years later it's it's now i'm really starting to put put dots together and stuff especially knowing jeff johns is a fan of of all that work that he probably did hey, listen that jeff johns is an amazing comic book writer he's a fan of fans he's also a misogynist a racist and a horrible film director so you know we what gotta give him credit where credit's due hasn't directed any films as far as well, not not directed but he wrote but this, anything he, he touches wrote film wise doesn't go well yeah yeah i mean we don't talk about ryan reynolds green lantern <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why we got Daredevil and not Green Lantern too. Well, I won't speak to any of the accusations against Jeff Johns. Other than that, yeah, I agree. I enjoy his, his writing, generally speaking. But uh, yeah, I, I never thought that deeply about the connection to, to the com- comedian Joker and how that does basically make it that same family. But that is uh, that's why you're here, Remzo, tie th- to tie things together every once in a while. See, folks, I can defend Andrew Tate and call out blatant racism and misogyny all in the same episode. Which way do we turn? Um, yeah, but meanwhile, this is a show for everybody. They're trying to, Batman is trying to figure out where Joker went, what he's up to as a Joker leaves this carnival, having purchased it from this fellow who, as he's leaving, looks quite Jokerized, uh, on Joker's way out. Um, meanwhile, Batman is doing Joker research in the Batcave, 
as these things uh, often go. And he is being consoled here, not, not consoled, I guess counseled, counsel would be the word, uh, by, of course, Alfred. And um, he's got the driest mouth. It's the couve. It's the couve mouth, Remzo, and I'm out of water. You see, you see, you have to, we're not editing this out. People need to remember when I was stuck in, I was stuck in, I was stuck in a completely different state. I had to order myself a microphone and I still did a full episode. Hey, I'm still doing an episode. I'm still here. Yeah. I caught it twice. Remember the one time I missed? That was me taking care of my wife last week. This week I'm here. Yeah. Remember when I went to Vegas and as soon as I came back, I caught that shit the second time. That's even more impressive. Yeah, fucking Fauci's fault. Well, I'm about to rock it with the natural immunity, so I'm not worried about that. There you go. Um, you're, you're one of the pure bloods. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, the, they have, Alfred and Bruce have a little conversation here. And uh, at the uh, he's, Bruce kind of says something profound. I, he says, how can two people hate so much? How can two people hate so much without knowing? This is a weird sentence, the way he typed it, the way that he wrote it. How can two people hate so much without knowing each other? There's a word missing here. How can two people who hate each other so much is what it sh- should say. But I keep reading this, this poorly written line from Alan Moore. Sorry, Alan. That was bad grandma. Bad grandma, Alan Moore. Oof, man. Reading that really hurt, hurt my head. Nonetheless, it's, it's the, the point being, Batman doesn't actually know who Joker is. Joker, although maybe at this point, I'm not sure he do- if he does know who Bruce is or not. Nonetheless, they don't actually know each other. They don't know who each other are. And yet they have this visceral, uh, almost eternal, metaphysical, ethereal hatred for one another, which is, you know, it's something to think about, I guess you could say. Yeah. Not that profound, says Remzo. Poetic. Wow. Um, but yeah, so we see now that Commissioner uh, Gordon is in his apartment with now, it's not clear to me here. Does Barbara, does he live with his daughter? Does his, his 25-year-old daughter they, live They with live him? together. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. We've all, we've all gone through that phase, I guess, at some point. Um, and there is a knock on the door, and lo and behold, who is it? In his favorite fedora and Hawaiian shirt, camera around his neck, the classic killing joke look of the Joker, and I really love how this is done. It is done without any dialogue, without any words. You just see the Joker smiling, see the, uh, the up close of the gun. It's kind of that moment. It's sort of from Barbara's perspective. See the horror, the horrified look on her eyes. She can't even move because she just, you know, it's, this is all in a split second and she knows what's about to happen and it does happen. She gets shot uh, right in the gut, goes right down and, you know, Commissioner Gordon, instead of going after the Joker, obviously this is his daughter, so his first gut instinct is to go and check on his daughter, uh, which he does. And the Joker's people, they they kind of they deck into Gordon, uh, tie him up, beat him down, um, while the Joker pour, pours a drink and begins to undress. This is why this is like was not supposed to be canon at first, and it was just supposed to be like an Elseworlds because of the uh, the very adult scenes and themes in this story. Um, but we do see the Joker begins to remove Barbara's shirt, and she says, why, why are you doing this? And, she, and Joker just says, to prove a point, here's to crime. And then we go back into another flashback, but uh, before we get in there, while I try to recover my voice for a second, Remzo, what do you think just of the sheer violence and brutality of, of this scene? No words, no fanfare, just Joker shooting up and straight up shooting Bar- Barbara in the gut. 
I, I think the Joker film was a good movie. However, what I think they did is what they have attempted to do to the Joker in animation and the comics over the last couple of years. And this scene kind of throws all those new notions to the curb. Is the Joker crazy or is he genuinely evil? And in the Joker film, they really try and paint him as just a severely mentally ill person who becomes evil. But when you look at moments like this, and especially as they go back to his origin and everything, and he does have a tragic origin. The truth is, is that the Joker knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly the difference between right and wrong, but he chooses to do so anyway. So when people try and argue, oh, the Joker's crazy, oh, the Joker's mentally ill, I mean, yeah, he's evil, but like, can he really be held responsible for his stuff? He knows exactly what he's doing, and he chooses to do it anyway. He is the perfect devil caricature in comic books. Um, that you see throughout all of fiction, even. So, you know, moments like this, you know, when people try and throw that argument in there, it's like, no, he is he's the manifestation of evil. He knows exactly what he's doing. And it's it's in situations like in this specific issue, in this arc, you shouldn't have to wonder. Yeah, and in this story, it really drives home that point, especially through the use of the the flashbacks and juxtaposing them with with the violence that the Joker is committing in the modern day, it really shows to highlight that, yes, he knows what he's doing. He knows right for wrong. They show him as this regular person who is in, in this next flashback. He's approached by the mob. I got to say, too, with these flashback scenes, I really love how they do the art. They're all done in black and white. Uh, but then there are certain there's usually like a certain color in each scene that is highlighted more um in this it's like it's the hood the red hood because these gangsters are showing him the red hood and that he's going to be basically be taking this hood on uh the, the moniker of the red hood to commit this robbery that they want him to do and he's saying you know he wouldn't want to do this but you know his wife's pregnant uh the uh you know the comedy career is not going that well so you know he's it's a one-time thing one-time thing right um but even there it shows that when presented with the choice between right and wrong. This character, this comedian Joker, he chooses wrong. He, he, you know, even this, even when it's this one small thing, he knows the difference. He chooses wrong. So that that is there from the beginning. Even even though we can maybe perhaps empathize or sympathize with him and his predicament and how miserable he is and how his career is going and he's got a daughter or a kid on the way, whatever it may be, we can sympathize with him. But at no point, it's it's not this kind of. It's, he's not he's not Magneto or Doctor Doom here. Uh, maybe Dr. Doom's not a good example. He's not Magneto, where you can really see, like, okay, this guy went through the Holocaust, his people were pre- persecuted, he thinks he's just standing up for their right there. There's none of that with the Joker, which is what makes him an, kind of an excellent villain in his own right as well. Yeah, c- completely agree. I mean, at, at some point, there's a cutoff for all these things. Like, it just gets to the point where it's like, listen, the, the sympathy has to go out the window, and these people have to just admit that they do this because they want to do this stuff. Yeah, so uh, they set this whole thing up uh, with the Red Hood. Uh, again, juxtaposing the Red Hood and the Red Shrimp in the art, which I, I really love. I often do gloss over the art because um, I'm kind of just sort of briefly describing what's going on. And I, I, I figure art is visual anyway. So if people want to see the art, they will go in and read the book and really get the art. But I think the, the art of Brian Boland here really cannot be uh, cannot be praised enough, especially with these flashback scenes. And I, I shouldn't just say the art of Brian Boland. Uh, I, you know, I, I should look and go right now and do do as I say, not as I do. I got to give credit to the colorist of this book. Now, who the hell is the colorist? I went all the way to the beginning here. I'm going to look this up, Remzo. This is how much I care about the talent out there. 
Um, but I still don't know who the colorist is. There, there's a thousand freaking um, credits here for editors and all these things, none of which are the actual people who worked on the book. Introduction by Tim Sale. Dun, dun, dun. Um, anyway, yeah, I was trying to be a good guy. I still don't know who did the colors here. Maybe Brian Boland does the colors. Anyway, someone awesome did the colors of of this. And uh, yeah, that's really frustrating. You know who you are. Yeah, you know who you are. Hopefully you go around talking about it all the time. Hey, have you read The Killing Joke? What did you think of the colors? What about the red between the shrimp and the red hood? (laughs) That's what I would say at parties. Uh, Anyway, moving along. We get out of that flashback and we come back to, uh, to real life, I guess you could say. And um, let's then, oh yeah and batman is visiting i love how batman like i get it he's friends with gordon and gets a special access like he gets access to the hospital he can come see barbara and everything and this is where we're finding out that, that she's paralyzed but it's like especially because because gordon isn't here do they id check batman like couldn't anybody be dressed as batman and get this kind of privileged access because you know they're not bro not checking id bro he's he's batman but how do they know he's batman what if it's somebody because else? He's Batman. He's Batman. He's Batman. Uh, but Barbara wakes up, and uh, because Batman's talking to her, saying Barbara, Barbara. I think he gives her. Does he give her a smelling salt or something? I think he gives her a smelling salt. Not because he cares about her and wants to see her, although he, he does, of course. Uh, but I think he wants to find That's out. That's nicer than a wake up bitch. He wants to get some more information about what's going on. And um, yeah, he and, and he's asking. Uh, she's saying, you know, you didn't see Bruce. You didn't see his eyes. He wanted. He said he wanted to prove a point. That dad was top of the bill. What's he doing to him, Bruce? What, Bruce, what's he doing to my father? So this is very personal. And I'm not sure if, if I mean, in current canon, he, they, you know, Joker does know who Batman is. I'm not sure if he's supposed to hear, but, um, but obviously he knows that Batman is close to Gordon and, and, and uh, Barbara. So either way, he knows yeah. that he's attacking Batman personally. Um, <clears throat> we go over and we see that Commissioner, Commissioner Gordon is being tortured by... By midgets. Not the fun kind. Dude, not, that, that's, my, that's my nightmare right there. These are not the Silver Age, fun-loving, you know, Adam West Batman, like midgets I might attempt, uh, you know, expect to see. Th- think, of, think of the, oh, what is it, the Lollipop Gang from Munchkinland on crack. These are scary, cracked out, jokerized midgets, and they're dragging a naked Gordon out um, into, along with all these other freaks, into the carnival, which um, I don't know if Joker set up some something with the power company or what. Like all the lights are working on all these uh, on all these like rides and roller Dude, coasters. Dude, Gotham now. Electricity just wants to know that they're getting paid. <laughs> yep, that's all that really matters. Did the check clear? Then we are good here, sir. Um, but yeah, these uh, these like little little Jokerized midgets are are poking prod and Gordon, a naked Gordon, pushing him up um, where the Joker is sort of sitting on this uh, this teacup throne of his, and. Man, it's the it's, it's the brain fog, Remzo. It's the Kuvi brain fog. Usually, I'm the sharp one, even though I'm the stoner of yeah. the two. Usually, I'm the sharp. It's the, one. It's the bat mind. It's the bat mind. But basically, um, Joker is just fucking with Gordon essentially, and he eventually just ties him uh, to like one of these like bumper car things. We do head out, get another flashback, and it, it's clear to like everyone. Like, cause, cause the Joker character was considering whether he was actually going to do this thing as the Red Hood or not. Um, and then we find out that his wife, Jeannie, 
Wait a minute, no, that doesn't make sense anymore. Batman couldn't have been hiding that same family in the Three Jokers because Jeannie's dead. Boom. She's not dead. Oh, she's not really dead? <laughs> this is, this is, no. She, she, she heard from somebody and she went and saw him talking to the criminals. She knew that he was already prone to that type of behavior. So she went to the Gotham PD and they put a collection together. They faked her death. And they got her new record, so that way she could go ahead and raise her baby safely. We find that out in Three Jokers. Yeah, okay. so like 20, you know, 20, I'm sorry, 30 plus years later. Okay. Anyway, I bet you can, to read my reviews of Three Jokers that I completely forgot what happened in, you can head over to secondprintcomics.com and, and just look up Three Jokers. There you go. But yes, Joker is devastated. And when he finds out that his wife, uh, his wife has, has died. Um, so yeah, so, so that's what, okay, so it wasn't clear to me if like the, I guess in this, we're supposed to think the mom did kill her, though, right? That's supposed yeah. To be she was. She was. Well, it, it wasn't the mob. It was that she was. Um, she was like heating up like a bottle or something using like an electrical bottle heater, and she got electrocuted. That's what they say happened, but I, I, I thought the. I mean, they don't say this, but I thought the implication was supposed to be like, like yeah, like we killed your wife, like so. You, no. no? No, but but they do definitely gaslight him because he comes over and says that and they basically are like, listen, like you got to do this or else you're going to be a loser in life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's because yeah, originally his motivation was his wife, but then that's what kind of gave him second thoughts. And then but now that now that she's gone, it's like, well, what that might have been Yolo. the only thing holding him back from becoming who he shall become. Exactly. Um, but then we go back to the present and. Commissioner Gordon is being kind of pushed along this, uh, I guess it's kind of a roller coaster type thing with along with these midgets. And uh, Joker is his host here. And now it is time for the main event where this is, and obviously we don't really see it in full graphics, but there's enough. There's enough body parts to, to understand what is happening here, essentially. Commissioner Gordon is being forced to watch his own daughter's rape and sodomization in front of him. Is there any other way to interpret this this event? No, and you know th- this is one of those contentious areas where it's like, did it or did it not happen? Or is the fact that we're even questioning it the the more perverse part that we would even come to that point? There What's is not clear a is if, they, is if could, it's like if Joker is actually like raping her in that in that kind of way, or if she is just being like tortured and naked. That's what's not clear. The so there is um, online people can go ahead and find this. This was not the first version of this page. There is an original version of this page where you basically think of all the pictures of Barbara that Gordon is being forced to see, where you very visibly see the Joker himself committing those acts. So what they do is they they balloon certain areas to cover up those parts, and they also um, erased out some of the some of the sketch work. But the original intent that Moore was going for is this is happening, and there was a there there was something that brought more legitimacy to it. I think about four or five years ago for the Bat Girl series uh, during the New Fifty Two era, a um, special um, Killing Joke era 
of um, of alternate covers, of variant covers came out, and there's one where you see the Joker in his Killing Joke Aloha shirt and everything outfit, standing behind Barbara as she's tied up, and he has his finger going across her mouth with with lipstick to make it look like a Joker smile. And people saw that and they got really pissed about that because it's like, oh, you're just reminding people of how she was victimized, and that's really disgusting. And DC was like, well, we never said she was, and then everyone's like, no, 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 no. We know what Moore really w- was trying to say. Hmm. I thought, I, I thought, as I learned more about it, I, I thought that was a little classless. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's, I guess it's maybe splitting hairs in some way because it's clear, it's clear what's happening to her. So whether or not Joker is the one physically perpetrating the act or not. I don't know how much how relevant that really is at the end. He's he's the orchestrator of the act either way. But somebody is doing it and somebody's also taking the photos, but the intent is to cause harm not only to Barbara but obviously to her father who's being forced to watch this. And then ultimately to Batman, which is the real point of all of yeah. this stuff that he knows that Batman and Commissioner Gordon are tight. Um so what's the best way to get to Commissioner Gordon? This is the best way to get Commissioner Gordon, which makes it the best way to get Batman. Being Joker's logic, I suppose. Here, um, we then see Batman back in um, uh, one's the prison. What? What? There's, 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 there's Arkham. Yeah, well, Arkham's not the prison though. Arkham's the uh, Black Gate. Yeah, I guess he's there. This prison. one looks more like a jail cell. So we see him there uh, talking to some folks. We see him in a bar. We see him uh, talking to the Penguin in jail. We see him talking. To, I think I think it's Carmine Falcone in one of these things. Uh, Batman is out to uh, find and get the Joker. And eventually, uh, Bullock hands him these um, these tickets of sorts. It's a Bonus Brothers Carnival and amusement parks admit one. So finally, of course, it took the Joker basically having to send him this ticket for Batman to figure it out. I mean, that, that's the one thing about the Joker that I think always maybe gets at Batman is that with every other villain, Batman usually ends up just figuring it out. You know, he does he he does his detective thing and is the world's greatest detective and solves the mystery or the riddle or whatever it may be. This is, seems to be reoccurring with the Joker that in the end, it usually is because the Joker just wants to let him in on it. Eventually he wants to let him in on the joke. He wants to let him in on the secret. He wants to send him the ticket to the carnival. And I think that that must in some way drive Bruce Wayne, the world's greatest detective. Absolutely bad shit. You see this again in Three Jokers, which I mean, the more I look at it like this, these two stories are really intertwined now, whether a lot of people liked Three Jokers or not. And I would even go as far as say in the current Batman run uh, where we had Joker War in which the Joker basically made Bruce Wayne poor by using all the Wayne family foundation money to you know build an army. And then it all ends up going over to um um, you know, to, to his, uh, to Batman's friends, uh, Lucas Fox, like the Joker doesn't have to gain anything. He just has to take something away from other people. And that's what's, that's, what's really villainous. Everyone wants something. Everyone wants to gain something and they don't care if it's at the expense of people, but the Joker just doesn't care about that. Like he doesn't rob the bank because he wants the money. He doesn't steal the artifacts or steal the big science weapon because he wants to do something. Yeah, or even even more, more re- most recently, I think in, in current canon, uh, Batman. Well, I, I don't think he's broke, but he's not rich anymore because Joker somehow found a way to rob Bruce Wayne of all his wealth. 
Yeah, he, he funneled all that Wayne money into you know the Joker ah. war in which yeah. he basically built an army. And it wasn't even to himself. So it's like Joker doesn't amass wealth to amass wealth. He doesn't even steal money to gain money. He only steals money because it hurt Bruce Wayne in this circumstance. So what you know, it, his motivation is just is the depravity. It is the obsession with with Batman. It's nothing more, and that's what really makes yeah. him a unique villain and a uniquely frustrating. Yeah, villain. and I mean, in th- three Jokers, what does he do? He has to make Batman save Joe Chill, mm-hmm. who 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 is dying from cancer. He makes him save the man that made him Batman, and it's like you know, even that is just an insult to injury type of situation. It's just, I mean, he's he's villainous. When people try and make all these excuses for him, you know, it's like I'm gonna get a little bit political here, Mark. It's like when we see, in case I haven't already, Andrew Tate did nothing wrong um, with all these school shooters. You know, does mental health play a role in it? Yeah. Do all these medications and does their past trauma and stuff play a role in it? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, if you know the difference, I'm not saying you can't find a mental gymnastics type of way to rationalize it. If you know the difference between right and wrong and you choose to still go out and harm people, you're evil. I don't give a fuck about your childhood. I don't care about anything that led to that moment. You're an evil person. And the more we try and make excuses about it, we call it mental illness, we call it gun violence, all these other things. Evil is real. And evil in the in comics is supposed to remind us that that evil is consistently there. And real evil is probably what, what most would tempt us to become that evil version of ourselves. And I think that is part of what Joker is always trying to do as well. He's trying to push Batman to embrace his own shadow, to embrace Batman's shadow and to become that dark version of himself. That is what Joker is constantly trying to do. That's why he goes to these higher levels of depravity. That's why he rapes Barbara Gordon, tortures, uh, um, tortures Commissioner Gordon. This is all to try to get Bruce to snap and become that demonic evil version of himself. So it's really... I think the more I uh, the more I get into Joker stuff, the more I I, I think I might want to might need to redo my greatest villains list and put him closer <laughs> to the top because he really is a different a different kind of villain on on, a, on just a whole a whole other level. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but nonetheless, Commissioner Gordon continues to be tortured by the Joker and the Joker. It's now pouring out because, of course, we're about to get to a climactic scene. It has to be pouring rain, and Joker reflects a little bit in the water and reflects back smoothly into flashback world where he was donning the mantle of the red hood. Now we, we also learned in the flashbooks that flashbacks that the red hood has been um, robbing multiple other uh, sort of facilities and such before, before now. So the red hood has been this sort of patsy used by the mob. It's not any one person. They just keep putting this red hood on other people so that they can't actually catch any one red hood at any point. Kind of like a, uh, you know, a mob version of the Batman, you know, they don't know who the Batman is, so it could be anybody you could say. Um, but yeah, it quickly, and they, they quickly like find out that like these, these guys that the red hood is with, they're they're making all this noise, like all this stuff is going on, and and they're, the guard, the guy, the guys get killed by the cops. Like it's very clear that he was just being set up to be caught um, as the Red Hood. Um, but of course, Batman is there, and Batman actually attempts to save. We see in this flashback, attempts to save uh, the Joker as he's falling over this ledge. Here, we see Batman reaching out, trying to grab his cape, 
but he isn't able to do it in time. So we see Red Hood falls into this vat of chemicals, pulls himself out, and pulls off the Red Hood, and then that's when he sees his own reflection, sees that his skin has turned uh, white and green, and we get this iconic uh, Joker laugh for the very first time, not really for the first time, but for for what's supposed to be the first time uh, in the history of the character. And Joker laughs his way all the way out of that flashback right back into the present where he and the freaks are there monitoring uh, Commissioner Gordon in the cage when from behind we see some lights shining as we see a car has pulled up and this car is, of course, the Batmobile. And uh, a Batman comes out. Well, I I don't think he's actually saying this. This is like this is referencing the the speech from way earlier. But we see this juxtapose. We see this speech juxtapose over the action. And and it's really it's really effective uh, because it's all action. It's all Batman physically going after the Joker. But uh, in the text, it's saying, hello, I came to talk. I've been thinking lately about you, about me, about what's going to happen to us in the end. We're going to kill each other, aren't we? This is the speech from the beginning. Perhaps you'll kill me. And here we see Joker uh, spritzing uh, Batman with some acid in the arm here. Perhaps I'll kill you. Perhaps sooner. Perhaps later. And they're just kind of fighting and chasing each other um, all around this carnival. Uh, Batman takes a little break to release Commissioner Gordon. But Commissioner Gordon just basically tells him, like, forget me. I'm naked. I've been raped by midgets. So you just just go take care of the fucking Joker. I can't handle this shit anymore. And he, but he, he's but Commissioner Gordon does say, I want him brought in by the book. And Batman just says, I, I'll do my best. And Commissioner uh, you know, Gordon just yells, by the book, you hear, we have to show him. We have to show him our way works. So again, just like with Batman, he's, you know, Joker's always trying to make, break Batman. He's kind of trying to break Bo- Gordon, too. You know, he wants Gordon to break from the system. He wants Gordon to snap and do something to Joker that he's not supposed to do. Um, it's, it's all Joker against, uh, you know, Batman being his primary foil, but it's really Joker against society, Joker against the system. He's trying to deconstruct absolutely everything, deconstruct Batman's morality, deconstruct the system that Commissioner Gordon uh, is trying to uphold, deconstruct all of it, and uh, he tries to just completely mentally break them in order to do that. Uh, we then see Batman is running after, uh, you know, after Joker through this funhouse, and of course they're having a good old-fashioned, uh, you know, hero-villain conversation. Um, eventually, Batman does uh, crash through the mirror, uh, the funhouse mirror, uh, break through to Joker. Uh, it is a hell of a fight, though. Like there, there's, uh, there, there are many, many pages to this fight. Like Joker comes back at him, and it, it, it's Joker's one of those cool villains that, like, even though he has no doesn't necessarily have fighting skills per se. Not that we know of. We've never, you know, learned that he has these martial arts skills or anything. And he never looks like a good fighter, but he always finds these little ways to to take it to Batman in a fight. Well, like here at one point, he pulls the cowl down over his eyes, almost like in a Three Stooges way, and uh, and like pulls the cowl around and then just whacks him with a two by by four. Um, has a little knife on him that he takes out. I mean, he has these like little ways of fighting sneakily and look he's never going to overtake batman in a fight we know that he knows that but he he has like what i what i would call like annoying if this is pro wrestling for our friends on the north south connection where you can hear this podcast every single sunday um he would call have what i would call like annoying heel offense these these kind of like bad guy annoying wrestlers that they're not good in the ring they don't do any impressive moves um they're not really even fun to watch wrestle but they just do annoying 
shit. And that's how they get away with, with winning. So they, they, they might just jab you in the eyes. They might just hit you in the balls uh, when the ref isn't looking. And that's how they'll win. And they'll just annoy people to no end. And nobody ever thinks they're good, but they, you know, they are, they're always beating the better wrestlers through their trickery, through their chicanery. That's what the Joker reminds me of, although he never ends up besting Batman. But the fact that he can even put in a fight against Batman is pretty impressive for this guy who really, again, has no discernible fighting skills that we've ever, ever seen displayed. Eventually, Joker is cornered, pulls out his gun and pulls it. Click, click, click. Of course, it doesn't fire. It just comes out the joke gun because it's a joke because everything's a joke because we're talking about fucking Joker here. And Joker just says, God damn it, it's empty. He says, well, what are you waiting for? I shot a defenseless girl. I terrorized an old man. Why don't you kick the hell out of me and get a standing ovation from the public gallery? Batman says, because I'm doing this one by the book and because I don't want to. And Batman kind of goes back in his speech again, you know, his speech from earlier. He says, don't you understand? I don't want to hurt you. I don't want either of us to end up killing the other. But we're both running out of alternatives and we both know it. Maybe all the, maybe it all hinges on tonight. Maybe this is our last chance to sort this bloody mess out. If you don't take it, then we're locked on a suicide course. Both of us to the death. And Batman actually attempts to, to almost win the Joker over here and put him into rehab. He says, it doesn't have to end like that. I don't know what it was that bent your life out of shape, but who knows? Maybe I've been there too. Maybe I can help. It's like an after-school special now. We could work together. I could rehabilitate. Don't do drugs, yeah. kids. You need to be on the edge, Tommy. <laughs> Um, you need to be out there on the edge anymore. You need to be alone. We don't have to kill each other. What do you say? Joker looks back somberly and says, no, I'm sorry, but no, it's too late for that. Far too late. <laughs> you know, it's funny. The situation kind of reminds me of a joke, and I'm just going to finish this review by, by reading this joke from the Joker here to Batman. He says, there were these two guys in a lunatic asylum. One night, one night they decide they don't like living in an asylum anymore. They decide they're going to escape. So, like, they get up on the roof, and there, just across this narrow gap, they see the rooftops of the town, stretched away in the moonlight, stretching away to freedom. The first guy, he jumps right across, no problem. But his friend, his friend, he didn't make the leap. He was scared. You see, he's afraid of falling. So then the first guy has an idea. He says, hey, I have thy flashlight with me. I'll shine across the gap between the buildings. You can walk along the beam and join me. Second guy shakes his head, and he says, uh-uh, well, what, do you think I'm crazy? He says, He'll just turn off the light half when I was halfway across. Joker starts laughing. Joker starts laughing. He says, no, excuse me. Just starts laughing and laughing and laughing. And then Batman lets out a little laugh. And Batman starts laughing. And Batman grabs Joker. And they both just laugh panel after panel after panel. Until the rain continues. The rain continues as they're laughing. And we fade away into the rain. As thus ends the killing joke. Now I gotta say I'm I'm pretty impressed with my own performance of that that final scene. So I'm gonna let you give your thoughts here while I recover the old voice from the woo woo flu. So the funny thing about it is people actually thought that this was one reason why this is non-canon is because there's this I don't know if it's a rumor or a theory, but there's this there's this argument that Batman kills the Joker in that scene. And that the reason why you look away is because as he puts his hands on his shoulders, he's reaching up to his neck, and the last person you hear is Batman. It's this idea I do that Batman that theory, just gives yeah. up. That, that, the other, yeah, the theory being like that's the moment that after all this, the Joker can just tell a joke that Batman realizes like that this is never going to end. He just has to end it. 
Yeah, and I gotta say, like for for all the stories we have probably ever covered on the show, this has the most theatrical ending. It's it's like a curtain draw for a play or something. This is really done well, and you see it with the panel work. I really recommend if people haven't seen this before, they go ahead and check it out. Uh, I have actually sent this over to a, a few of our uh, Epic Crossover level patrons. So one of you got this as a hardcover graphic novel. Uh, at least by by the time this is released, I can't believe I never thought but, of this before. Because now I'm looking at it like, yeah, you could you could take it, you could take it that he's holding him and laughing make the at argument. him, or you could take it yeah. that he's choking him to death and killing him. Now, I mean, either way, the fact that we're having to debate that means that they did a really good job of making you wonder. Um, but yeah, so for story, I mean, this is a th- this is not a complex story, but it's a story that hits a lot of areas that some writers can write to excess, especially the the parts of Barbara Gordon with with Jim Gordon, um, with how they balance uh, the, um, the, uh, the 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 flashbacks of the store of the Joker's origins. I, I think it's good. I think it's uh, the perfect amount. I'm. Uh, my only problem is I, I think sometimes some of the dialogue gets a little bit weird. It doesn't really sound like the characters, but that's an Alan Moore thing. All Alan Moore characters kind of sound the same sometimes, but I'm not going to use What do you mean we all bloody sound the same? <laughs> you know, I was going to give it. I got to stop making Alan give Moore us, Australian. It happens every time. He, he, he might sue us one day. He, you know, I was going to give us a 4. Australian. Yeah, I, I was going to give this that's more Peaky Blinders than than Welsh. I thought he was Welsh. Um, I'm going to give I was going to give this a four point five for story. I'm going to give it a five for story. I really think this is well done. This is just this is peak Batman. This is this is this is this is worthy of a five. However, for the artwork done by Timothy Sale. No, done by Brian. Bowling. I'm not. By Brian Boland, by Brian Boland. Um, Just randomly I inserting other artists into this. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, T- Tim Sale was a writer. Yeah, I'm sorry. Tim Sale did. Uh, he did write T- an Tim introduction Sale. to this, so maybe that's what. Maybe that's what happened. Yeah, but he also did. It was Jeff Loeb and somebody else. Maybe it was Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale who did Long Halloween. Maybe that's why I'm getting confused. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, I, I I think the artwork is fine. The artwork is just it, it's never really won me over. I'm gonna I um accept uh, that scene with the Joker holding the gun at the doorway. That is that is classic right there. I'm gonna give it a four out of five. So I'm giving this book uh, on you know uh, leveling it from story to art. I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. All right. Well, I'm gonna make this pretty simple. I'm going to completely disagree with you and agree with you completely at the exact same time. I'm going to reverse engineer this. I'm going to end up at a nine as well. So we're both going to give this a nine. I am going to give the writing a 4.5 because I think it should be a five, but I think that now that I know what you told me, I think they should have left it in and kept it very clear that the Joker was committing and perpetrating those acts. And I remove half a point from the writing because it should have stayed that way, but I'm going to give the art a wait a minute. What was your final score? You gave four. four. My score was a nine. I gave it a five for story and a four for art. So if you're giving it, if you if you end up at nine and you're giving it, I'm giving a four point five for story and a four point five for art. I'm giving a four point five yeah. for art. There you go. And that's it. I love the art. 
I'm only giving it a 4.5 because, because I'm reverse engineering it. Now, I think, think 4.5 is fair. I, I really like Brian Boland's art a lot. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's kind of perfect for this story. So I, I can't really give any complaints about it. But, you know, fives are reserved for, yeah. for special occasions. Yeah, so that's an 18 out of 20. That's an, which that's an SPC. Why be, the fuck haven't you read this yet is what that is. Yeah, this should be in your library, folks. This should be in your collection. This should be in the background of your comic book podcast. Which I have yet to yeah, build. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there. All right. Well, that about does it until this Friday on the old newsroom. I think that's all she wrote. And until next time, Remzo, I think I only have one request for everyone out there. But that is, of course, that you all continue to read comics and change the change world. Change the world. Good night, America. Adios.